imagine what you can accomplish in life if that if you did not have to enjoy every single thing you did and you did it because you need to and you did it because it's a good thing. You did it because you knew this is better for you in your life. Welcome to the Tomination Time podcast. I normally stream diet and fitness on Twitch with my waifu Helen. These podcasts will be edited portions of the stream. We'll go over diet, fitness, motivation, ergonomics, and more. Don't forget to follow us on twitch.tv slash time and leave your notifications on for when we go live. Shaquille Oatmeal says, been experiencing major brain fog, low libido, increased irritability, and some weight gain despite no major changes in lifestyle. Scheduled to get a whole host of tests within the next week with a possibility of a referral to an endocrinologist or a urologist, basically a hormone doctor or a PP doctor, penis doctor, depending on the issue. Curious to know what tests you have done so far. What has helped with your brain fog, if anything? As that is the most frustrating thing for me. It's like constant state of grogginess. <clears throat> so I'll talk about my experience with TRT. Guys, spoiler alert, I am not natural because I am on testosterone. TRT, really, for medical reasons. Exclamation mark TRT, if I see a bit of my history. Basically, uh, right now it's, it's May, no, June 2020. September... September 2019, I tested at 87 nanograms per deciliter for total T. That was the lowest I have been in the last two years. The two years prior to that, it's been kind of bouncing between 87 and 420 uh, with a lot, like a couple tests at two, low 200s. So I've been trying to do stuff to bring it back up because I was also experiencing the same symptoms of uh, brain fog, lower energy, increased irritability, or just, you know, grumpiness, um, lower libido. Uh, softer erections, even though I can still get, I still get erections. It's just a little more effort, a little bit more time to, um, to get it to where I want it to be for sex and, uh, definitely not as hard as before. Right. So all those things playing a role, uh, they're all considered like, uh, for the most part, non-specific symptoms of low T. Um, and I'm 35 for those who are curious. So I, um, Non-specific. So the specific symptoms of hypogonadism are basically low testosterone is like you could think of it as more severe low T, which is basically as if you had no balls. Essentially, all the masculine traits are gone, which is your, your ability to grow facial hair or just hair in general starts to decrease um, higher pitch voice. Um, you know, all of the sex and erection stuff I was talking about earlier. And of course, you know, the, all those nonspecific symptoms of like fatigue and whatnot, but also like lower, uh, poor performance in the gym. That's another nonspecific symptom. Um, uh, what else about hypogonadism, um, specific symptoms also like, you know, the, um, uh, your breasts, your, your, your chest starts to have more fat accumulating basically, uh, you know, from higher estrogen levels or your testosterone estrogen out of, out of, out of whack. So Think of all of those symptoms for as if your balls are just never worked, not functioning. That's that is specific hypogonadism, which is not what a lot of us deal with. A lot of us who are considering TRT or reading into it, uh, we're experiencing some non-specific symptoms and the non-specific symptoms of what I was experiencing and what also Shaquille is experiencing. Um, it's easy to read on the Internet and think that, like, this is the cure. But apply some caution. We don't, we know it's correlated where people with low T is correlated with these symptoms. But is it the cause or is it a symptom? 
right? So <clears throat> does having uh, low T cause all these symptoms of like what I was experiencing, not non-specific stuff, like my, my gym recovery sucked, uh, general brain fog, fatigue, and, and uh, you know, sex performance not as good as before, right? All that stuff, it could be uh, that having low T causes those issues. It could be that it's just correlated. Whatever's causing that is also causing low T. Um, we don't really know. Yeah, I, I, I read a lot of different studies and the scientists and stuff there at this point is correlation and speculation about what could be causing it. So um, my my opinion on this stuff is always approach the holistic low hanging fruit stuff first, which is the four pillars of health being um, nutrition, activity or exercise, sleep and mental health. If any one of those four pillars is complete shit, fix that first. That's just good life advice for just be living healthy and then start looking at things like, okay, then let's start seeing like, once you get that stuff in order, now let's go look at um, medical intervention for something like TRT because medical intervention. I, I, okay. This is my opinion, but I try to avoid invasive, strong medical intervention. If there's lifestyle habits that I could change. So for example, diabetes, type two diabetes, uh, a lifestyle disease of really poor nutrition and really poor activity both of those can reverse type 2 diabetes. And I would address that first. I would try to address those lifestyle factors. Well, of course, like it depends on how far gone you are on type 2 diabetes. Work with your doctor on this. But those are two major lifestyle factors that should be addressed while treating type 2 diabetes, right? Uh, same thing with low T. I would try to make sure you're not stressed out of your mind. I would try to make sure you're getting good sleep, quantity and quality. I would try to make sure that your nutrition isn't crap. Like you're just not like you're eating mostly healthy, healthy, whole food in a diverse uh, array of food. I would make sure you're getting in some activity uh, at least a couple times per week. Honestly, man, if you just do some resistance training and or some cardio, that's fine. That's you're doing fantastic. So um, then I would start looking at stuff like, um, OK, medical intervention. And so I basically did all of that. Thank you for the bits. Uh, uh, so I, I started, uh, I, I pretty much addressed all of those for like two years and, um, sleep being the only one that wasn't really where it needed to be. I, and it's so also into that point, um, when I did a bit of a sleep challenge in, um, the winter of 2019. So like January through February, my, my tea did shoot up to 420, like after getting like nine hours of sleep, nine, 12 hours of sleep every night for like a month. And then I kind of paid off my sleep debt. My sleep then went to like seven and a half to nine hours every night. Like, so I paid off sleep debt, went back to normal-ish sleep, and I did feel better across the board, but it didn't last that long. Yeah, 420 blaze. Yeah, 420 blaze testosterone levels. Um, so uh, the, the nine to 12 hours of sleep, it felt bad at first. Like I needed more sleep, but that's because I had so, I was so sleep deprived having kids, two little ones, like, you know, a one-year-old and a two-year-old at the time or, or two and three. Um, they're, they're, they're very young. And so, um, that plus the stress of life in general and like streaming and working out all that stuff, I think might've played a role that could have been causal for all of this, which I'll get to in a second. Um, but anyway, it, it did not make a huge, massive difference. So therefore I tried out the, um, testosterone stuff when I was feeling my worst, actually, which was in September 2019, all this stuff kind of piling on. And so then I tried uh, Clomid for two months, which is a um, relatively non-invasive way of of uh, trying to bring up testosterone. Basically, it's a pill that stimulates um, it stimulates the pituitary gland to then downstream stimulate your balls to produce more testosterone. It's kind of an indirect way to get your um, testosterone kickstarted. OK, um, 
tried it out for two months, didn't feel much of a difference. So I switched over to testosterone, which there's, there's two different ways to do it. Typically. Anyway, the two most common ways is either injections where you get, um, you basically get a needle and you know, a syringe and you inject it into your, into your, uh, you put it in your butt or you put it into your leg, but typically the butt is where most people do it. Um, and you inject uh, some every like three or seven days. And then the other method is uh, gel, testosterone gel, where basically you just apply it to your shoulders or your body, wherever it says, you apply it on your body and then uh, you absorb it and you do it daily. So uh, someone asked, Andre asked earlier, uh, why I went with Clomidin gels instead of injections. Two reasons. One, out of convenience, it's just much more convenient for me to work in like three minutes of gelling myself every day as opposed to like 10, 20 minutes to prepare the injection, set aside time, get away from my kids all that kind of stuff and then deal like, you know, clean the site, all that stuff and deal with the, the the sharps afterward. I don't like dealing with sharps because not because I'm afraid of, of poking and injections, but because I have to have a sharps container and I have to put the sharps container somewhere up high and I have to like deal that once every couple of months to like pay for shipping and get rid of out of the house. It's just annoying. I really not deal with that. So I just do gloves and throw away the gloves. So, <clears throat> um, so that's, and the other reason why I didn't want to do injections is because my, um, some, so some people might be thinking like, Tom, you're doing gel. Don't you know? Don't you know? You read online. People say it doesn't do much for them. Doctors usually do the, the testosterone clinics or the, uh, was anti-aging clinics. They usually do injections, bro. Well, some doctors, legitimate TRT doctors who are used to treating many men with low testosterone, they actually prefer gel. I forget. There's a name of a famous one. He prefers the gel over the, um, uh, injections because the valleys and the, the, the valleys and the peaks are are smoother. Meaning, if you inject once every three or seven days, it's going to spike and then it's going to come back down, and the average will be higher testosterone. But the highs and the lows will be kind of going up and down quite a bit. Uh, is it that big of a deal? Maybe not. But the testosterone gel every day is kind of the same. And I'm of the type I like to mimic our ancestry, mimic our biology of how it should be, which is. Every day when you sleep, your testosterone is um, rising. So basically, uh, testosterone is regenerating while we're sleeping and it peaks in the morning right when we wake up and then it slowly comes back down throughout the entire day. When you sleep, it's regenerating. So sleep is anabolic, guys. It, it raises your testosterone. So get your sleep. Um, that being said, I want to mimic that more closely and not have to do, not do injections where it goes really like super physiological and then back down. And my hypothesis... And I don't know if this has been tested, but my hypothesis is those guys who say they didn't feel anything on the gel, but they felt something on injections. I think it, I would suspect it's because when they inject, it is such a high super physiological dose that you can't ignore that. You can't ignore that. Like your body just feels so good or so whatever, whatever they're, 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 they're feeling. You can't ignore it. So they feel like it is doing something versus the gel. It was doing nothing because it went back to normal. My hypothesis is. It's not doing much because that wasn't their that wasn't the cause of their problems. That was a symptom. And so they're fixing one symptom, but the other cause is still there. Meaning in my case, so how do I feel now after all this time? Um, after being on TRT, slowly increasing the doses. So again, uh, two months of Clomid, and then I did two months of uh, one pump or one or two months of one pump. No, 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 sorry. Two pumps of the androgel brought my T up to like low 200. So we upped it to three pumps. It brought it to like 400. Still not feeling great. Now I'm on four pumps and I'm going to get tested in about uh, end of June. Uh, 2020 end of June <clears throat> gonna see where it's at and if it's if it's medium high then I'm done like it, it did not solve my problems I want to get off of it before my ball shut off permanently because medical intervention is like screwing with a um, a highly a tightly regulated system like your hormones that is not 
uh, there's a ton of feedback systems in there. And that is not something you screw with lightly. Uh, seriously, a lot of young guys think about doing testosterone or drugs. And you just jump into it without thinking about it. It is you're screwing with hormones as a tightly regulated feedback system where one thing impacts the other impacts the other. So this is not and there's a lot we don't understand about it. Seriously, we, there's a lot we don't understand about how hormones all impact each other. Um, so tread lightly with that stuff. And again, I prefer minimum intervention and it didn't solve my problem. So what, what was solved? Um, I'll tell you from my experience, my, um, in terms of my, uh, sex performance, all that stuff, all that's better. So I'm way, basically sex drive increased a lot, uh, hardness and speed to erections also increased all that stuff better. Right. Um, while that is nice, that to me is not enough to justify being on TRT the rest of my life. Okay. Unless my testosterone is permanently shot, in which case then we'll revisit this. But, um, so yeah, morning wood absolutely is way back. So like before I'll get morning wood, like once a month at most, uh, at the age of like 34, right? I'm 35 now. Uh, happy birthday to me. Yay. Birthday stream this month, by the way, this Friday, Saturday, <laughs> we're gonna do a birthday stream. Um, uh, anyway, so Yes, that, yeah, hey, you know what? Happy, happy wife, happy life, right, guys? So that, that is better. Fantastic. But, um, the other symptoms of general brain fog and fatigue did not improve. I pretty much felt zero difference. Gym performance, I didn't really feel much of a difference, but I wasn't really pushing major amounts of volume or strength. Hard to say. Hard to say it made, it made a, um, a big, big difference. And also I don't care that much about gym performance. Uh, my traps and shoulders, do they seem bigger? It's hard to say. Some people have noticed, have commented on it. Maybe, um, one of these days, maybe I will do a comparison, um, of similar body weight before and after T and also try to find similar volumes of training so that I, I can just see in the, in the, in the camera. Um, from what I can tell, I don't feel my traps or shoulders change much. Maybe they did. So I won't discount that because testosterone, uh, people go on steroids that can improve your traps and shoulders look anyway. So, um, for the testosterone stuff, what I think is going on is, uh, potentially the other aspect is my mental health. While I feel like it's pretty good, it is very possible that I am just not resting enough. So I was talking with, um, Kanga exclamation mark coaching five pH. There's three of us who are doing the group coaching me, Brandon and Kanga. He's a um, medical doctor, but he also did some mental health coaching in the past. So, um, he suspects I just don't have time to unwind. And you know what? I think that's kind of true, especially with, um, COVID these days, even more so I don't get alone time. I don't get time for my brain to kind of just shut off and veg out. Um, I'm kind of just always on, which I don't mind except it's slowly starting to crack me in different ways. And so I kind of need time where I'm uninterrupted and I, I, you know, I, I, I'm starting to pay more attention to what is mentally draining me more in how to recover from that. So things like meditation, I'm, I'm thinking about using some more of that. Um, so all that to be said, we're on this journey of TRT and I don't think it's not solving my issues. So I'm going to address other things like, you know, like sleep. I'll be revisiting sleep again to try to up my sleep. I'll be revisiting things like decaffeinating, but I've, I've tried decaffeinating um, in the past. It didn't make much of a difference. The main, next main thing I'll really focus on is um, mental health, sleep, meditation, all that kind of stuff to do stuff to recharge myself and see if that makes a big difference. Um, and I'll start checking some other low hanging fruit stuff. Um, I mean, like actually the meditation I consider to be kind of low hanging fruit and then I'll look for high hanging fruit, really um, obscure health things like cutting out artificial sweeteners, cutting out artificial coloring, all these random things that probably has almost like it has a very small chance of having any kind of effect on anything, um, even though most people population probably should not worry about that at all. But 
when troubleshooting things, I'm gonna start with the lowest hanging fruit stuff and slowly work my way up to really obscure things. Try things like a ketogenic diet, all of these other things. So like these are things I'll be considering. Um, <clears throat> so I didn't really answer your question, um, <clears throat> Shaquille, which is what tests have I done so far? So to give a quick history of tests, basically about two to three years ago is when I started suspecting maybe I have low T, uh, talked to my doctor about it and uh, explained my symptoms, which again, very non-specific symptoms of not as hard as it used to be, sex isn't as good, uh, you know, generally grumpy, more fatigued, brain fog. A lot of these are very common among many of us and it could have many, many different causes. So uh, I told him those things. He got me uh, uh, basically the minimum stuff you should get checked for uh, testosterone is like your total T and your free T at an absolute minimum. Also, I mean, you, you can look up on the internet why, because this, this is kind of going on long, but uh, I want to wrap up this question. But basically, total T, free T, uh, probably get your estradiol checked, which is basically estrogen, and then your um, sex-binding hormone globulin, which is SBHG. Check those four to see if any of those are out of whack. And then there's also more they would check too, like FSH, LH, and, and so forth. There's a whole panel of stuff. It depends on your insurance, depends on what your doctor wants to check. Um, if your insurance and or healthcare can just cover all the costs, then just ask them to check everything, which might be kind of tough because usually in systems where they're covering stuff, you have to do some convincing to make sure they've actually checked everything instead of the bare minimum. Because if you just check total T, that may not check, see the whole picture. Um, so I did all of those on and off for a couple of years. I've checked some other obscure stuff too, or not obscure, but like low hanging fruit stuff like vitamin D, uh, B12, iron, folate, all of those other things. So um, anyway, I will probably get off of this in the next month and hopefully my testosterone will come back um, to normal. It's probably going to suck this summer in terms of like if I go off of TRT, my testosterone will be shot until my balls restart, um, in which case I'm probably going to feel extra worse. That's kind of expected. Uh, and this year I'm at. If my testosterone is like, like if I try all these other things, my, my testosterone is like permanently under 200, uh, I will probably then just resume beyond TRT for life. Why? Because um, studies do show a correlation between low testosterone and also um, worse mortality rates. Basically, they die earlier. Um, again, they, they actually, if I remember correctly, they factored in unhealthy lifestyles. They, they, they they took out the confounding variables of unhealthy lifestyles in order to get a clearer picture that even with healthy lifestyles, there was a higher correlation of lower T with mortality. So in a year or two, testosterone is still low and I've done everything to try to get, get, get my testosterone back up and feel better. Still not working. I'll probably resume being on T the rest of my life. But uh, this, this is the kind of stuff that I think all men should be thinking about because medical intervention like this is a serious life decision that could permanently change things. Um, a lot of guys will ask me like, hey, Tom, I want to do like a I want to do a cycle of steroids. What do you think? Uh -huh. Well, first of all, I don't know much about steroids, steroid levels. The difference between TRT and steroid levels is just the dosage. TRT is testosterone at to try to get you back to normal range. Uh steroids is higher levels of testosterone to get you to super physiological or like superhuman levels of testosterone. And they're both testosterone. It's just, um, why are you doing it? And what's the end number you're going for? Um, even with doing a single cycle that has the non-zero chance that it could permanently fuck you over. Unlikely, right? I don't want to fear monger. It's pretty unlikely, but at the same time, 
I don't recommend men to just jump into it while thinking about the consequences and thinking about other low hanging, like zero impact stuff, such as cleaning up your diet and eating less junk food, sleeping a little bit more, getting better quality sleep. These are things that all of us should try doing. Um, my brain fog did seem to dissipate more when I was uh, sleeping better. So I'm going to be trying that out some more. Um, anyway, uh, Shaquille, I hope that helps. But yeah, um, I totally open and honest about this stuff because I, I think we should be honest about our medical history and help other people and just explain what we're going through. Explain um, even the symptoms of like, yep, softer erections versus harder erections. That's that is something people will wonder about. Right. He says, Class Flap says, I've been struggling to find motivation to start working out again. What is your reason for doing it? I don't under I, I understand if you don't want to talk about it for now. No, nah, man, I, I love talking about motivation. And the thing about motivation is there's so many different directions in which we can talk about this and why someone is not motivated, what's holding them back. And so um, based on what the person is saying, I try to get a direction for this. And, and I asked Class Flap, what does he care about in life? Like, where does he want to be years from now? What's he looking forward to? That kind of stuff. And he says, this will probably sound very pessimistic. I think it boils down to a bigger mindset issue. Me being like, it, uh, in the end, it doesn't matter if I work out or not. We're all going to die. He says, I cared a lot about my grandparents. They both died shortly after each other within one year. In regard to where I want to see myself in five to 10 years, I really have no idea. So class flap. Uh, it may be that you need to do some soul searching about what is that you really care about in life. Um, that in itself can be the uh, the motivation that you need. So motivation, let's break down motivation. Um, the motivation people usually think about is like this emotional high, like, man, I just got to kill it. Man, I've got to just kill it today in the gym. We got to push hard. And man, like need nothing back, man. I need that willpower. I need to just, oh, I got to have that strong emotion to really just kill it in the gym. And that mindset is you're basically just riding on willpower and, and high emotions, which could absolutely fuel you, but that's temporary. And that goes down. Like we have good days. We have bad days. That's normal. That's the normal human experience. It is unusual to always have super high emotion and energy and willpower at all times, like above your normal, whatever your normal is. We'll have different normals, but I'm talking about you can't ride that high forever. You shouldn't plan on that. Sure. I think it's a smart strategy to take one of those highs and try to format habit or form habits and try to form a um, long lasting habit that does not require willpower and motivation and all that stuff the extra like oomph to keep going i think that's good that's a good idea but don't count on that lasting because it won't um and so in the case of class flap i, I think there's like like i kind of said like as a mindset issue um, i think the bigger mindset thing does play a role here which is what do you care about um so you asked me about what's the reason why i'm doing it there's a lot of different reasons and um i'll say in no particular order i have to think about the, the real order um, you know what? Let me just actually I'll just walk you through my life. The story of my life when I was born. Uh, basically, my dad worked out a lot at home. His workouts weren't very good. I mean, like from a technical standpoint, looking back on it, they were kind of crappy workouts. But seeing him do it at home and growing up exposed to it, he would do stair climbing on our stairs, go up and down uh, a lot. And he would also do uh, some basic like push-ups and sit-ups, that kind of stuff. Basic workouts at home. It to me became very normal that it is a, it's a normal thing 
to do exercise and fitness, all that stuff. So I was exposed to it very early and I thought, okay, let's, we should just, we should just do this. This is a normal thing. Like I, we all take shits and showers. We should all exercise too. That's just normal. Okay. But uh, growing up in high school, initially what motivated me was of course the, uh, the ladies wanting to get the ladies as a young high school guy. But that didn't really do much. I mean, honestly, it's, it's more of a motivating thing for guys than girls. But um, uh, so, yeah, I wanted to get bigger and stronger as a guy uh, to feel bigger and stronger and also to attract women, which in, in a nutshell, it didn't actually make that big of a difference. But um, then in my 20s, uh, I got I mean, like I shouldn't say no one of these reasons superseded the other it was just cumulative reasons to exercise i want to point that out so while the attraction to women and wanting to attract women started to play a role i also still viewed exercise as normal as everyone should be doing this and lifting weights all that stuff so and then on top of that in my 20s i started to develop back issues my dad had back issues i was getting crippling back problems through all my 20s to where i could barely walk and i was like in extreme excruciating pain from just walking and so um in those moments of like extreme blackout pain where I had to crawl to the bathroom middle of the night, that's how painful it was because I couldn't get up to walk. It would take um, 10 to 20 minutes to get to the bathroom at like 2 a.m. to go pee because every every step that I took when crawling was excruciating. In those moments where I would have rather blacked out than experience the pain I was experiencing, I swore like I was begging God and just begging anything out there. Like if if only, if only I had another chance to like do it right or like if I could just um if I if I ever I will never take my body for granted again. That kind of stuff. Like that's the stuff I was thinking about and just. The desperation to eliminate pain when you're in those moments is massive. And I would have, um, I, I would have, uh, uh, you know, I learned those times to just never take my body for granted and always take care of it. So eventually I did get my back problem solved. And these days, if I were to think about like why I want to like, What's my motivation? My, my reason for doing it uh, is multiple, right? I want to look good for myself. I want to look good for my wife. I want to be healthy and strong for my kids. I want to set a good example for my kids. Um, I want to be, I do not want to be the person in a wheelchair where other people have to take care of me. I want to be able to pick up my kids and play with them. I want them to be able to ride me like a horse so I can, ex I can give them a normal childhood relationship with a father who can play with them at the level they want to play with. That's what I want. And thinking about that and not having that, because like really like 10 years ago, I was afraid I'd be in a fucking wheelchair by now, by 35. And I'm stronger than I've ever been. Doctors told me get surgery or get used to it because they were not helpful um, in my back issues. But uh, to not go back there, that's very motivating. That's one reason why I don't want to like stop lifting because lifting, uh, you know, like deadlifting and squat, well, squats, uh, maybe are not good for my back. It's hard to say, but, um, doing, uh, deadlifting is pretty good for my back. It feels good. It helps. So like getting up to do deadlifts, getting up to stay consistent with my exercise, getting up so I can live to see my kids grow up and get married and have their own kids and hopefully see my grand great grandkids. That'd be fantastic. Those are all very motivating factors to just keep on going. Couple that with 
This is a habit at this point, and it's not that hard for me to keep it going. Couple that with now also streaming. I have a responsibility or a duty, I feel like, to you guys to continue my journey, to show it, and to help others along the way. All of these combined is what makes it so easy for me to um, to say, yeah, let's go work out. Like on uh, 7 a.m. or whatever, when I want to keep sleeping sometimes, <clears throat> um, I just don't feel like working out today. I'd rather just eat donuts and play games because, like, let's be honest, I... Which one's more enjoyable? Donuts and playing games is way more enjoyable than exercising. I'm just straight up, I'm be honest with you guys. Video games are way more fun than lifting weights, hands down. There's other things that are more gratifying about lifting weights in terms of seeing progress, which is another good thing to focus on. Um, but uh, I'm keeping it real with you guys. But seeing the bigger picture and all this stuff and all those factors I listed are some of the reasons why I keep doing it. Uh, also touching on the, uh, the motivation part, there's something very satisfying about crafting and building things. I think, I think this is part of the human experience where, um, you guys have experienced this, like whether it's art or a good program or like you're, you're like building something like a, like, I don't know, you're using like your tools, like in cutting wood or whatever to build something. No one's around. It doesn't matter who sees it. It's just, there's something so satisfying about crafting something and seeing it work. And in some cases, you want to share that with other people out of joy. Like, this is so cool. This is so fantastic. I love it. Like, check this out, guys. There's something so strong about that. I think it's very, um, that speaks to the human condition of crafting and building something. And I'm telling you guys that the same type of experience exists with yourself once you learn how to craft and build stuff. That is, once you learn how easy it is to control, um, I shouldn't say easy, but I should say simple. How simple and non-confusing it is to build muscle and burn fat and kind of like bulk and cut and all that stuff uh, that you can actually take control of this and not in like in some sort of like pathological controlling psychological behavior. It's just like you can own it and you can mold it and you can see progress. There's like you, people say progress is addicting. And I think this is what they mean is that seeing that you can control something and craft something is very similar to the other experience of like, I built this beautiful sculpture. I created this cool program that does exactly what I thought it's going to do. Like all of that stuff is so satisfying to do. And I think that's the same thing that I get out of the um, exercise stuff. So class flap, if you don't know what you want in life, I think that's something to think about too, because to me also exercise is a means to an end. Um, all of those things that I said, almost all of them, exercise is not the end goal. It is a means to an end. I want to live to see my kid, great grandkids. I want to not be in a wheelchair when I walk my daughter down the aisle. I do not want to have to use crutches. I want to be able to walk on my own, uh, on my own accord. Exercise is a means to that end. It is not the end. So it'd be kind of boring if that was the end, but like this helps me achieve those goals to be my healthiest, strongest version of me for my family. That exercise is a means to that end. So all of those things, it's a means to an end. Same concept with, with, uh, um, uh, jobs, uh, careers advice I have for, for young people is to keep in mind that like, I don't like the advice, like chase your passion, chase your dreams, chase your dreams, man. Just oh, follow your passion. Don't work for the man. Don't work a dead end job for the man. I would say this. Yes. Um, don't make a dead end job be like your end, like life goal, but don't, you don't have to derive happiness from your job. A job is a job. It brings you money and that money. What do you do with that money? It could be a means to an end. And in my case is a means to an end to be able to do stuff like help you guys have a good, happy life here. Um, uh, be able to do stuff like, you know, stream and not be that worried about money. So brother Skididi, 
says, I guess it's because I'm almost a decade older than you, but I have to say I've hit the point where I can't bring myself to pound a pint of Ben and Jerry's because I know I'll feel gross and get bigger, set myself back. But this is after spending years of exercising, swimming, now running and learning how to appreciate the simple pleasure of being outdoors, um, doing something that makes me healthier. Yeah. So I think that's also another like looking at the bigger picture thing as well. Yeah, Berserk. Getting distracted with video games and like doing RPGs, for example, that feeling of accomplishment. All that also helps. Gets you things done in real life. Now that I'm focusing on myself and don't play games as much. Yeah, that can also like playing video games can be very good at distracting yourselves from uh, like the feeling of not getting anything done in real life. So um, anyway, all that being said, um, Berserk, exclamation mark, Dr. K, DRK, go to uh, check out Dr. K's stuff because he talks about this very concept too, or anyone else addicted to video games. He talks about addicted to video games and like what that does for us. Lost Edge says, can you gain muscles without doing repeats until failure? For example, push-ups until failure and repeating this three times compared to doing push-ups in long intervals and not doing them in failure. So for example, 60% of your reps or 60% of your max reps every hour for 12 hours, which of these give better results? So another way to phrase this, let's just rephrase this question. Three sets of AMRAP or as many reps as you can. Um, let's just say you do three sets of 30. Let's just say three sets of 30 for um, kind of, uh, you know, a couple minute rest once every couple of days or just for that day versus you're doing uh, 12 sets of 20 reps. So like 60% of your max reps, 12 sets of 20 reps, push-ups throughout the entire day with one hour rest. So the answer is it depends uh, on a couple of things. So what you're describing is, it sounds a lot like um, some Eastern European Russian training model for um, advanced international competitive athletes to where their job is to literally train all day. And I know there are some training modalities that have come out of that where basically they just train seriously every day, every hour or every couple of hours with really low volume. So they're not generating too much fatigue where they can't like keep doing this, but they're just doing it like every day. I don't know the names of this. I can't remember, but um, even if that is superior, cause it might actually be superior to train like that. The problem is, even though it sounds so optimal, it may not be practical for us to actually follow that. Uh, because like as much as I love doing, you know, weightlifting, I don't like having to warm up and interrupt what I'm doing to come back to the bar to do it again. Not to mention in my case, I'm old and broken and I, I require a lot of warming up to get to whatever my working weights are. So we have to just keep in mind, even if something is like the most optimal thing to do ever, it does not mean it is the most optimal thing to do for you in your life. Now, um, that being said, pushups is relatively low, uh, a, a low hanging fruit It's a low amount of effort. You don't really need warmups. So here's what I would suggest. If you can practically do a set of pushups every hour for 12 hours is not a, not a big hassle to do this. You don't mind doing it. I would say go for it because total volume does matter as long as it's um, intense enough. I would also look at how many pushups you're doing. I would even consider making sure they're hard enough that you're not doing more than 20 reps just to make the intensity uh, a decent amount of intensity. Um, so I would try to like do tempo pushups or decline pushups to make the pushups harder such that you cannot do more than 20 reps. And then um, I would be also checking to make sure that you're not getting too sore 
that um, you do like a set one set every hour, your soreness might start uh, building up to where it's impacting your sets. You might stop early. That might improve though. If you train like that, if you train like that for a couple of weeks, maybe you could start pushing harder and harder and doing more and more sets. Cause initially, like whenever you change training modalities, you're probably going to suck until you adapt to it and you get used to it. So is it going to be better? Maybe, um, on the one hand is more volume. On the other hand, it's not practical. On the other hand, like you might be, uh, generating too much fatigue, depending on how hard you're pushing into where you even resting an hour is not good enough. And in fact, it might make it worse because you're cooling off. So, um, in general, no, I don't recommend that for people because I think it's just not practical at the end of the day. I care about what's practical and sustainable. Okay. Racktron says, can you talk about the belt a bit, the advantages and disadvantages to using one? When should someone start using a belt in their training? Could it impact gains? If you use it too early in training. So the, the simple thing to remember about belts is they are accessories. Uh, you really want to wear it as a pageant sash across the chest or like an ammo belt, think Rambo. And it's really about just color matching. It's not about like people say like hypertrophy, stability, blah, blah, blah. It's about color matching to your shoes, to your shorts and your shirt or tank top or stringer or whatever it is. You want to make sure you look good for the gym. That is by far the most important thing to pay attention to with belts. Kappa. Yeah, but but in all seriousness, um, a belt. Belts can be good, but first, like, let's talk about shopping for a proper belt. Um, all joking aside, you want a belt that is sturdy, probably leather, uh, very stiff. You want it stiff because you don't want a soft nylon belt. Um, ex unless you're like Olympic lifter, you're doing, you know, uh, Olympic lifts like squat. I mean, um, uh, clean and jerks, or you're going very deep into the hole, and you need actually a flexible belt. Okay. Assuming you're doing typical barbell training for powerlifting, like uh, squats and deadlifts, then a belt that is stiff, that provides a wall for you to push against is the way to go. Um, how do belts work? Uh, do belts, well, actually, I should say this, do belts protect your back? Not directly. People think, oh, you have a bad back, use a belt, use a belt. Uh, I think that's actually terrible advice because the belt might give a false sense of security and they start like training uh, harder with poor form, it doesn't fix their problem. Belts will not protect against poor form, okay? If you have shit form, you are still gonna be at risk for injury with a belt. What does a belt actually do? It provides me something to push against so I can generate more pressure. Um, if, for example, you take a uh, soda can that is empty, it's an empty soda can is quite easy to crush. There's nothing in it to uh, pressurize it, to make it stiffer and harder. And so instead, if you have a um, soda can that is full, it's a lot harder to crush it because there's a lot more pressure in there, keeping the aluminum walls stabilized. So same thing with just general core stability. We say stabilize the core. Let me get, let me get rid of the belt for a second. <clears throat> no belt. When you're stabilizing your core, what you're really trying to do is take a belly breath, inflate this to pressurize the system and push out in all directions, all 360 degrees around your trunk. So that way you're as stable as possible and you have uh, you exert as much intradermal force. So that way your trunk is more stable. If you're more stable, you can then lift more weights. You lift more weights, you will build muscle fast, muscle and strength faster. That's the general idea. Um, so using a belt will properly anyway, if you know how to brace against them, is like an instantaneous 10% gains or somewhere around there, five or 10%, because by having this to push against, I am now able to generate more, even more force. And so my core is even more stable. So now when I try to deadlift or um, 
deadlift or squat, I am going to be able to push heavier weights because I have more force, right? So that's the basically the general purpose of a belt, which indirectly protects your low back because if you are pushing against the belt, you have more spinal stability, not because this is giving me some sort of magic protection by keeping the arch in my back or anything like that. It's more about generating more force. So when should someone... Um, so I guess advantages and disadvantages of using one, the advantages are you build more muscle faster and it, it can be a good cue to help someone understand, um, intradental pressure where you have something to push against. And so, cause like if you tell people like, you know, take a belly breath and pretend like someone's going to push you, or someone's going to punch you in the, in the, in the stomach. So you try to inflate that, that may not be that helpful of a cue uh, for some people. I think for a lot of people it is, but some people that may not get it, but you put a belt on them like, okay, push out against it, take a deep belly breath, push out against it. They might understand that better. So that could be an advantage. It also could be a disadvantage. Like I said, which is they are using it as a crutch for poor form and poor um, core bracing mechanics. They're completely missing the point. My opinion is if someone understands how to brace their core, take the deep belly breath, generate that pressure on their own. If once they understand that and they um, are their goals are building strength and muscle and or muscle, I think people should use belts. Uh, and of course, assume you can afford it. You don't mind taking one with you to the gym. Um, you can use them because it's going to help you achieve it faster because, again, you get instantly stronger. Seriously, you get instantly stronger because you have more spinal stability. Um, would it impact your gains if you use it truly in your training? No. Um, seriously, if you understand core stability pretty early in your training, why not use a belt? Uh, Greg Knuckles has a good article going over this about basically belts, why to use them. And he pretty much says along the same lines. It's like, it's like free gains to start getting gains faster. So yes, I think you should use them. Now my coach, Brandon, uh, he doesn't want me to use them for basically those reasons of rely on as a crutch. I, I feel like I understand core stability pretty well, but uh, he, we're re rebuilding my squat and deadlift right now because of my QL pain and he's kind of stripping everything back to basics. We're eventually going to rework the belt in, but right now the weights are relatively light compared to where I was before. So there's not really a reason to use the belt yet. I feel like I would like to use it, but he it's it, he's, he's my coach right now and he doesn't want me to use it right now. So uh, I'm going to... Uh, defer to him on this, but eventually we're going to work it back in for myself. Berserk Exponent says, any suggestions for people having lower back pain? My brother has stated since he has he was a kid, he's been having trouble. Unsure where to guide him. It is my opinion that a lot of times chronic problems have chronic sources. Not all the time. Sometimes you had a, um, I mean, you had like a, a bad feedback loop kind of lock you into pain. You have to, even though the source is gone, you need to break out of that cycle. That happens too. But a lot of times, like, we aren't paying enough attention to our own health and our own bodies to notice that we have a chronic source and that chronic source could be something that you're doing all day, every day. Like you have bad furniture. You're sitting on the couch a lot. You have a bad chair for your, you're sitting at your desk working all day. You have very bad form while you're deadlifting, um, all that stuff. So for me, my bad back issues, I had years and years where I was basically crippled, unable to walk um, for my, based on all my, most of my 20s. Um, I was going through cycles of really bad back problems where it was difficult to walk. And my issue was basically posterior pelvic tilt, rounded lower back, where like this is a neutral spine with a uh, little bit of a lordotic curve or an inward curvature of my low back. My natural slouch, if I'm lazy, was like this posterior pelvic tilt, rounded lower back. When I sat down on furniture, I'd be rounded like this all the time. And 
guess what? Bending my spine, opposite direction, bulging the disc out, pinching the nerves, causing a whole host of problems downstream that impacted my back today. Well, learning this and learning how to overcome this was crucial for me to figure this out. That basically I can't allow my spine to round. I cannot hold this position for very long. So like on the couch, I can sit on the couch for like 10 minutes, 30 minutes. If I sit on the couch for hours, I'm fucked. My back will start to hurt and it'll start to pinch my nerves. Couches are just gen in general terrible for, for spine health. But um, some people are more, more resilient than others, not me. I have had a history of back problems, so my resiliency is low with back issues and I'm very sensitive to it. But this is where I think a lot of people with chronic issues should start to look. Um, sure, yeah, go get some help from a, a clinician, uh, a competent clinician, which I'll talk about in a second. But... Paying attention to what you're doing and what could be the cause, I think, is massive for anyone who's having any kind of chronic pain. So um, that's the first place that I would start. Uh, exclamation mark back pain. You can see my video where I kind of talk about my issues specifically. I had two major issues that are causing lots of problems, which was basically general low back, low disc pain, that that uh, lower lumbar disc pain that a lot of people experience today. And then also the sciatic nerve pinching, shooting down my leg impacting my ability to walk. Those two issues, I explained in detail what I had to do to get out of it. But it took me years to kind of like zero in on what the problems were. And it took me going through probably like, I want to say somewhere between 30 to 40 different clinicians um, to find some that were good. What I mean by clinician is anyone who's trying to help me. That includes doctors talk. I mean, discussing with surgeons. I didn't get surgery, thank God, because surgery for back problems is, is a really bad coin flip. You don't want to take that chance. Uh, and sometimes it can make things irreversibly worse. So uh, talk to doctors, all kinds of doctors, surgeons, chiropractors, acupuncturists, massage therapists, uh, try doing like work with yoga instructors, um, doing like work with personal trainers, like dozens of them. And by far the two most in physical therapists too, the two most helpful clinicians out of everybody hands down were um, these two chiropractor acupuncturist hybrid guys they themselves they're like two separate clinics completely different people they themselves did acupuncture and chiropractic and for some reason maybe it was just coincidence but they were both leagues ahead of every other clinician they were much better at understanding the body and explained to me this was key explained to me what i was doing wrong and explaining how to fix it and on top of that their treatment was good uh acupuncture chiropractic, all that stuff is great and all. Any kind of treatment you do is great and all, but if you don't solve the source, if the source of your problem is still there, it's going to come back. So don't think that a chiropractor or an acupuncturist is going to save you. It's not. Uh, if you don't take ownership of your health and learn what you're doing wrong and fix that in your life, it's not going to get better. It's, it's only half the equation. Once you solve the issue of what was causing it, I think this is where a clinician can really speed up the healing process. So keep that in mind that it's not just like, it's not just in the hands of a clinician. You own your health and you need to pay attention to what you're doing right and wrong. Uh, that being said, of course, there are good chiropractors. There's bad chiropractors. There's good doctors and bad doctors, good PTs and bad PTs and so forth. Every, every specialty has good People who are good at it and people who are bad at it. So don't assume just because they have the XYZ certification, they're all the same. They're not. There are, um, and this really goes like, talk to any, if you have any friends who are in any kind of healthcare, healthcare uh, profession, ask them, like in their experience, if you get them like in a private one-on-one -on -one setting, like you can just chat and like just you can hear the real shit from them. Ask them like how many of their, um, either colleagues or classmates, because it depends, right? If they're working solo, they may not have colleagues anymore, but colleagues or classmates, how many of them 
would they say are competent or they would trust are going to do a good job? What percent of the ones they experienced, like or they, they worked with and saw? And so um, you'll be surprised like how like what their thoughts are. And like, yeah, man, there's like some some like classmates like they're going to go work on someone's health. Like, fuck, I feel so bad for like all of their patients. Right. So. <clears throat> That's just an example. Like, you know, one of the examples I gave was my dentist. I had a bad dentist for many years. I had a receding gum line, never got fixed because that, that dentist never really actually cleaned. He kept blaming me on stuff I was doing. I did everything he said, never improved. Changed to a dentist. This other dentist audits other dentists. He cleaned me up. It was very painful, but he did a very good job cleaning. After that, my gum line stopped receding. My gum, gum stopped bleeding because I was a good dentist. And I asked him, what, um, what percent of dentists out there do you think are competent? And he said six out of 10, he wouldn't let them touch his dog's teeth. Basically in his opinion, 60% of the dentists out there are, are garbage. So that's pretty scary. And he also, again, he audits other dentists. So he sees what's out there just because you have some sort of title does not mean you're any good at what you do. So keep that in mind. Um, I'm not trying to shit on all of them as a whole. I'm trying to say you need to own your health. And if you're not getting better, you need to change your strategy. How long? A couple of weeks, a couple of months, Give, her, give them a chance, be a good patient, listen to what they say, try it out. But if you're not getting better, consider, tell them or change clinicians. That's another important part too, which is communicate with them if things are not working out. Anyway, <clears throat> yeah, Brother Skinny says, anytime I feel uh, pain in the back or hips, I check my ergonomics at my work desk and home. Don't just treat the symptoms, find the cause, 100%. Um, this is something I talk about too. If you guys want to... Um, do an ergonomic review here, exclamation mark ergo, happy to review your setup. And I'll talk about that. Um, and I'll talk about like what, uh, what is like good ergonomics was bad and review all that for you. So, um, anyway, opinion at says clinicians, you mean physician? No, physician is a specific type of clinician. A clinician is just a generic term that refers to anyone who's trying to help you get better in a, um, in a clinic. So that could be a physician. It could be like a doctor. It could be a surgeon. It could be, um, a, uh, coach. It could be a, uh, you know, power coach, right? Power, powerlifting coach. I've talked about them before is they're also pretty good at spotting issues that's causing pain. Uh, could be a physical therapist, could be a chiropractor, acupuncturist, all that stuff. So it's a very, very broad term for someone who's going to try to help you get better. Uh, cause even powerlifting coaches can be clinicians, even though they can't legally say that, but on case in point, um, I spent three months trying to fix my QL problems with two different physical therapists and neither one made a dent for three months of working with them, doing everything they said, all their stupid little PT exercises for three months, zero impact on my QL. Five minutes with a powerlifting coach, he cured, like seriously, like it was that drastic, cured my QL problems on the spot. He saw the issue, he cute, he said, you're cute, think of this cue instead, instant fix. It was that black and white. But anyway, um, Fantasy says, just because you can pass a class with a C doesn't mean you'll be good at the job. Same thing can be said, just because you pass a class with an A doesn't mean you can talk to patients or under, and actually listen to them. Um, or just, you know, in general, like I, I'm echoing what you're saying, fantasy. So anyway, hope that helps, Berserk. So Brother Skididi. Brother Skididi says, do you take your caffeine hot or cold, Tom? Which is your favorite way? So I think in two different ways. Um, I, I consume food for the practicalness or the need, and then I'll also consume it for the enjoyment. I separate those because, uh, so like on a daily basis, I take caffeine, probably too much, maybe a little bit too addicted, but um, I'll usually consume black coffee or black espresso, uh, room temperature or cold, and through a straw to avoid it um, staining my teeth because I'm consuming coffee every day. 
or some sort of, you know, like, you know, coffee or espresso every day. That shit's going to stay in my teeth if I drink it normally. I drink it black because I don't want to deal with the cream and sugar. I'd rather get those calories somewhere else. That I'm going to enjoy like a steak or more rice or something like that. So um, that's the daily practical vehicle of getting my caffeine. And if I want to enjoy it, I'll do uh, like a hot coffee on a cold day or a cold coffee on a uh, hot day with some cream and sugar and just enjoy it that way. But that's that's the exception, not the rule. Um, but this this brings me to another point I want to talk about, which is uh, people think I'm weird. Like, hey, Tom, when you eat spinach, you just have a uh, you just take your take a fistful of spinach and you just eat it like that. I can never do that, Tom. I need to enjoy my spinach. I can never do the cow technique that you talk about. So take a look at this on screen. Um, you know, my Instagram. Ah, they won't let me. Hold on. I can't. I need to log in for this really quick. They're not going to let me um, view my own video. So I need to log in to this. But um, basically, uh, the idea of like, I could not do that because I have to enjoy my food. That is something I want to challenge really quick. And so I need to log into my Instagram to show you guys this. But basically on screen, uh, for anyone's listen, anyone who's listening, um, the uh, cow technique that I'm going to show is just the idea of get it, treat it like a pill, get yeah, it down the hatch, bag of home. spinach. Oops, don't overcomplicate mute, it. Mute. Do it not yeah, don't overcomplicate it. Just do it. Um, just get in the bag and like... Like for me, I hate spending so much time trying to build a salad to make it taste just okay. Like if I make it taste really good, that usually means a ton of calories for something that just tastes pretty good. Or get it down the hatch. Don't think about it. You're done with it in one or two minutes. And this, I think we would all agree, is objectively good to get your greens. If you had a choice between getting your greens in or not, like if you if you your choice is I'm going to do the cow technique and just kind of not enjoy it for two minutes versus I was not eating my greens because I'm too lazy to make a salad. I think we can all agree it is objectively better to just consume it and get it over with. But the thing that holds back a lot of us, especially in today's culture, is like, oh, it doesn't taste good. This doesn't taste good. Like, why would I want to do that? I don't want to do that. I want to like enjoy my food. Um, let's think about that for a second. Why do you have to enjoy your food? Why do you have to enjoy every single thing? That enters your mouth. Can you imagine like what you can get done in life if you did not have to enjoy every single thing that you did in life? I don't enjoy working out. I, I, seriously, like there's some parts I enjoy about exercise. Some parts I really don't like. Like I really don't like squats. I'm telling you guys, like I really do not enjoy squats, but I will do it because I need to. Studying is studying fun. No, is going to work and working a job fun. I mean, it can be, but for the most part, no. Which is why I think. This is where it has created a problem where a lot of times we are like, we're only going to do things that we like. We're only going to do things that we like. We're only going to uh, do things that we, that we love and that's pleasurable to us, which is fine. I understand pleasure seeking, but imagine what you can accomplish in life if, that, if you did not have to enjoy every single thing you did and you did it because you need to and you did it because it's a good thing. You did it because you knew this is better for you in your life. Um, that's a lot of the things that I do. I don't do it because I enjoy it. So I, I break up my food like that. Some things I enjoy, some things I just know, like this is objectively good. So I'm going to just eat the spinach. Um, anyway, all right. So 
and it's fine. And by the way, if someone's not struggling with vegetables and you just get your vegetables in, that's fine. But for other people who are like, I need it to taste good, but I'm lazy and I'm going to end up adding all these calories that's really counterproductive to get greens, then I challenge you, think about like, why instead of why should I do this, why not do it? Why not do it? Because I don't feel like doing that. Why is that a good reason? Because I don't feel like, like, why not eat a bunch of greens plain to get it over with? Why not do it? Because you feel like you don't want to do something unpleasurable? Like, really actually dig into that and kind of um, challenge that for a second. Sure, it's not, it's not enjoyable. Like, straight up, I do not enjoy doing the cow technique, spinach and kale, big old fistful in my mouth and chewing on that for two minutes. But guess what? It's good for me. And I'm going to do other stuff in the, in the, in the moment. I'm going to go like make my protein shake or, or go clean dishes or, or something like that. Prepare my day while I just eat a quick salad. Like, seriously, like that was two salads all at once in 30 seconds, two minutes. So, um, and then I'm done. And then I go enjoy the things I want to enjoy, like beer, <laughs> wine, steaks, Things like that, a bigger serving of rice, a bigger serving of rice and meat because I save 200 calories on dressing up my salad. I can put those 200 calories towards a bigger, more satisfying meal. So these, these are more of the things I think about. Anyway, Brother Skididi, that's a long tangent about the, the coffee stuff. But anyway, I hope you hope that helps. Minamo says, how do you personally get over setbacks due to physical injuries or lack of training? So specifically what he was talking about is how do you get back into it when you've been out of it for so long? Like, how do you um, get back to the level that you reached before without pushing or overextending? So the first thing is make sure you are not pushing way too hard, way too soon. That's a big mistake a lot of people do. Um, I would start with something so light that you know you're not going to hurt yourself and start working your way up. Because uh, again, if you've taken a lot of time off, chances are you're going to... Um, not be anywhere close to your same level of fitness, especially if you used to be pretty strong. So if you used to be able to run, let's say 25 miles, <laughs> a lot of miles, 25 miles fairly easily, and you haven't run in like three years, you shouldn't do 25 miles. You should probably start with a mile and see how you feel. Uh, same thing with, uh, or even, even less and just work your way up. Same thing with lifting. Um, if you used to just squat your body weight, you could probably get back to that pretty quickly. But if you're squatting like three extra body weight and you take three years off, it's going to take some time to get back there. The good news is you will accelerate more quickly. Just keep your ego in check uh, and listen to your body if you're getting problems and pain along the way. Meaning you're pushing so hard that you're ignoring the signs that you're that you're, you're not able to, uh, your body can't keep up. And so things start hurting. Usually the signs be like your joints are hurting, your muscles recover, but your joints don't. And you're getting sharp pains. You're getting soreness that's getting worse over time, not getting better. When I say worse over time, I mean week by week, it keeps accumulating. Um, all these things are, are examples. So I'll give a quick example. Uh, deadlifts, I was using alternating grip deadlifts for a while. I was trying this out. Alternating grip is basically, instead of doing a double hand, a double overhand, which is basically double pronated. That's the kind of typical starter uh deadlift grip you do alternating whereas one hand um is one hand's supinated one hand's pronated or one hand's palms facing you one hand's palms facing away the uh there's pros and cons to this the one con is the hand that's supinated or facing away is going to inv involve more bicep which can lead to bicep tears uh 
I was thought I was keeping my elbow pretty straight to avoid using any bicep. But over the course of weeks and months, I could feel it because I was also training biceps as well. So bicep tendon fatigue was accumulating. I could feel it here. It was getting sore over time. and It was not getting better. This is a warning sign for a bicep tear could be on the horizon. Also, my dad tore his bicep moving something randomly around the house um, years ago. So those two factors like, no, nah, you know what? We're going to stop. We're going to stop alternating grip deadlifts and just stick to straps because I don't give a shit about uh, performing for a competition. I'm not competitive. I'm going to just uh, deal with, I don't want to risk tendon injury. So there's other things I could have modified, like adjust volume and recovery, but, or just stop doing double overhand. And then my bicep fatigue uh, instantly went away over like a week or two. Anyway, um, Minamo, hope that helps. Miniature Action Jesus says, if a 500 calorie deficit is roughly one pound loss of weight per week, does that mean you could, in theory, just weigh your food and reduce your average by one pound per week if you didn't count calories? So basically, if 500, you're saying if 500 calorie, a 500 calorie deficit per day is enough or 3,500 calories uh, down per week equals one pound lost, couldn't one pound less of food that you weighed, your weekly total do the same. Good question. And the answer is no, because we're not equating the right stuff. So let's break it down. One pound of fat is pretty much pure energy. I mean, there's a little bit of, of filler stuff in there, but for the most part, one pound of fat is pure energy of one gram, um, one gram of that fat tissue or one, one gram of that pound. So like one pound has about like 454, 454, um, um, let's call it 450 grams of, of, a, of a weight, right? So there's 450 grams of fat in there where every gram of fat is about 900 calories. So, um, sorry, nine calories, nine calories. Um, my bad. So, uh, if we do the math, let's do some math really quick, really quick. Okay. Um, 454 grams of fat times nine calories per gram, 4,000 calories. So we say it's about five, a 500 calorie deficit per day. Five, 500 times seven is 3,500 calories is about one pound of fat loss. So again, that one pound is not pure energy. There's some filler stuff. There's also some glycerol or, or, or carbs stored in there. Um, so it's not, it's not a pure one to one thing. So, but that's just the general math. You get to the idea. Now that pound of fat is basically for the purpose of this analogy is pure energy. When we eat food, it is not always pure energy. There might be some filler in there. The two favorite examples I give, because I know these numbers top my head is like, take broccoli, an unprocessed whole food versus protein powder, which is a processed food. If you look at uh, per gram, how many grams of energy, actual food energy are you getting from every hundred grams of that product. So in the case of broccoli is somewhere to the order of out of a hundred grams of broccoli, you get 10 grams of mostly carbs and some, you know, protein and fat or whatever. It's like very, very little. So that's a 10% ratio. So 90% filler, 10% actual digestible energy for, uh, for our body. Something like protein powder by weight is like 90% uh, digestible energy for us, mostly protein, a little bit of carbs and fat, like 90% digestible energy, 10% filler. So versus that one pound of fat is like pure energy. So 
to your point, you're asking about like, can I weigh my food and just do one pound less? That depends on the food that you're weighing, but it's, that's too simplistic of a view because we're doing apples and oranges comparisons. Uh, it depends on the food density. So if you were to take out one pound of oil from your diet every week, I would say, you know what? That's probably going to equate uh, 350. That's probably equate the one pound of fat, right? So, um, in that case, it's that's kind of an apples to apples comparison, but who the fuck drinks a pound of oil? If you drink a pound of oil per week, please get help. You might need help. Um, but anyway, uh, actually, you're probably gonna have like massive diarrhea if you do that. Um, anyway, so this is this is to give you an idea about what we're talking about here, because like the energy density of the food that matters This is where I talk about. Um, Calorie light versus calorie dense. Broccoli, very calorie light because it's like by weight, like 90% filler, 90% stuff that's going to fill you up off zero calories. You take a processed food like um, uh, protein shakes is not a good example for this. There's there's probably better examples I can't think of right now, but like um, oil for examples like pure energy. Like it's almost pure energy with like no filler. So that's not very satiating, right? Um, yeah, same thing. Avoid eating fried foods in every meal. I mean, any this is another reason why processed food in general is not helpful for weight loss. It's because they've extracted out a lot of the filler. Um, they've, they've taken out a lot of the filler. And so you have leftovers. It's like raw energy that's easy to consume. Delicious. Easy for bulking. Not necessarily the greatest for losing weight. So mini, um, mini traction Jesus. Hope that helps to explain why you can't equate those two. Um, but uh, if you do the math and you find foods, like you actually calculate how many, like you have to calculate what is the actual energy density percent of, of this food that you're eating, factor out the filler stuff, and then you could do by weight for that. But if you wanna make your life easy, cause they're trying to lose weight every week, you can just ballpark your food, man, and just try to get better at that skill. You won't be as accurate with your weight loss, but over time, you can develop that skill. You're better at just eyeballing how much food you're eating and listen to your own body in terms of feeling full and what that feeling full off of certain foods is going to lead to on the scale. I'm pretty good at that. I can control my weight with like not tracking calories. Um, I'm eight pounds up since the beginning of April, so it's been about 10 weeks. Um, yeah, about... Yeah, about 10 weeks. It's been about 10 weeks and I'm eight pounds up. So just slightly under a pound per week, which is what I was going for roughly. I'm probably going to accelerate that a bit right now because it is my birthday month and also Father's Day. So I'm going to be uh, drinking a bit and also um, eating a lot of delicious calorie dense foods. So, yep. Uh, most veggies you can eat almost unlimited. Yep, I completely agree. Non starchy vegetables are so calorie light in particular broccoli cauliflower spinach kale celery sticks all that stuff s thicky asks can you tell me what kind of rack or cage you have and what kind of attachments do you have on it yes uh this is a uh, exclamation mark gym go to tominationtime.com slash gym a valor power rack bd7 uh it's like 430 bucks pre-corona prices uh these days i don't know how much it's going for or if it's even in stock but um let's talk about this rack really quick what i like and don't like um this is an old version of it they've upgraded a few things so let's talk about what i like um it has weight storage on the side so it's got some weight pegs notice though that these are standard size pegs for the one inch holes these right here these are olympic weights these are two inch holes so um it sits a little bit big on it, not a big deal. Uh, I don't think it's, I don't think it's in the, the world, but there's something to note. Um, I like uh, the safety. The sa it kind of safeties. Um, the holes here. 
actually hold on before i talk about what i don't like talk more about what i like it has um a pulley system which has a low pulley and a high pulley basically i can anchor an attachment at the bottom down here or anchor an attachment up high and then I throw some weights over here. You can see here, it's like got two pegs where I can just slide weights on to change whatever it, it is. So like, I kind of wish it had a middle, um, a mid section to pull from, like a, a sliding adjustment. It doesn't have that. So it'd be kind of nice for like seat standing rows to be able to raise up where I'm pulling from. Kind of nice, oh well, uh, I lose out on that. And then what else? Um, this old version, the, the bench press pins, are spaced out pretty far. You might notice on nicer power racks, they'll have a lot more holes here for safeties for a uh, bench press position. And then for squats, it's a lot like coarser. And that's because for bench, you need like, there's a very fine line for failure to where you have to get yourself to um, the right height such that you could still compress yourself to get the safeties to catch you. So this one doesn't have that, which is why if you guys ever see me doing bench, you'll notice I have some planks of wood. I just put the planks of wood underneath the bench to elevate it like a quarter inch, half inch. And that's all I need to get to like the perfect safety height, height for myself. Um, the other thing I don't like about it is <clears throat> um, this bar back here, this cross beam on the ground gets in the way of my bench. So I can't get my bench as far back as I would like to. Um, and so I, to unrack myself, I've, I've talked about this earlier, when I'm unracking by myself, I know for liftoff. So I, um, I can't, I have to slide my head off the bench to feel comfortable for my shoulders to unrack, which is fine. You don't have to have your head on the bench. If you're competing for powerlifting, some uh, federations require that, some don't. But um, if it doesn't impact your bench press, don't worry about having head on the bench. Um, <clears throat> That being said, what else? Um, the other attachments, I just bought like a chain and some other random pulley attachments here for like rows and stuff. Uh, can I attach a landmine to it? No, I cannot. At least I don't think there is a way to do it. If I want to do landmines, you just take a corner of the rack and stick your bar in it. So like, like this, I'm going to take my bar and just stick it into the corner. So it doesn't roll anywhere. Like right here. So... Now the bar is anchored um, in the corner, so it's not gonna roll. And for the most part, I'll stay in position for most exercises. So I can do like T-bar rows, landmines, or whatever. Is it ideal? No, but it gets the job done. All right, this is 400 bucks, a little over 400 bucks. Um, I think it's great, I love it. If you're not looking for like super nice equipment, looking for like budget, good quality equipment, I would choose this one. A big fan of this one, Valor BD7. Unfortunately, not being paid to say it, but it's lasted me a while. This is like four or five years old. Yeah, like five years old, still great. I mean, it squeaks, but you just gotta tighten the bolts once in a while if you notice something's really loose. Um, but yeah, it's got a pull-up bar on top. I love it. So, um, as sticky, yeah, that sounds about right. The 30 millimeter versus 50 millimeter in metric units. I'm not sure. Just check one inch versus two inch. They're pretty much universal. Like um, for um, the weights that I'm using, you're going to have wherever you are in the world, they're pretty much all the same. It's either the one inch holes or the, the two inch holes. Let me show some examples. Like you look here on my screen. Uh, I'm holding like on my right hand. This is a one inch uh, dumbbell handle So it's got like the threaded screws and it's got like the skinny shaft and skinny holes This is like the typical home gym weights. You see this right here is an Olympic dumbbell handle for the two inch 
weights is much thicker and you can slide on the same weights that you put on a barbell. Um, so I, I, I like these, the, the two inch Olympic weights because uh, Olympic dumbbell handles, because I can go much heavier and I can use the same weights that I used before for like barbells. So I don't have to like buy another set of weights. I happen to get this one for free as a gift. So I still have these 20 pound dumbbells, which are, they're nice. They're nice to have for like some quick dumbbells. They don't take that much time to set up. So I just throw them on good to go. So I like them both. But if you're going to go with, um, a home gym, if you think you want to lift heavy, then I think you should go with, um, Olympic weights and also again exclamation mark gym tominationtime.com slash gym I have uh, guides where I kind of talk about this and things to think about when buying a home gym if this podcast earned it please consider leaving a review on iTunes we're new to the podcast space and we will be reading all the feedback also if you like the content follow us on twitch.tv slash tominationtime and keep notifications on for when we go live Feed your brain, feed your body, and we'll see you next time.